0: Julie, why are you
1: sitting
0: in the meeting room? Because I have a quote up. Bad. There's Julie. You made sure that Gellman got the link for today, right? I heard you last time. So you made sure that Gellman got the link
1: for today? Yes. Yeah. There
2: it is. <laughs> yeah, you step on the yeah.
1: Welcome people. And here um, there's- there's a delay. It I you introduce him, get him started. He's got ten minutes. Good
3: afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. And we would like to welcome <laughs> you to Western New York Independence Living Meet the Candidates Day today. And our first candidate, who is here, is Senator Patrick Gallivan. And we would like to welcome him. Patrick Gallivan, you're now able to speak.
4: Well, thank you and good afternoon, everybody. I am uh, very happy to be with everyone. I'm trying to figure out the technology a little bit. So bear with me if I get a little confused here. Um, But I I, am happy to be with everybody today. I'm sorry that um, it's not able to be in person, but I do know that doing it this way actually affords uh, greater access to people for various reasons, Uh, so so that is a good thing. Um, uh, As many of you know, um, my background has been in public service. I I was in the state police. I served as Erie County Sheriff for two terms, and now I have been in the the Senate uh, for 12 years now. We just went through a redistricting year, so the district is going to change. Um, But but taking a step back, it really has been an incredible honor that people place their trust in me, and now in this particular case, that I am a representative and a voice in the Senate for many different issues, uh, the things that um, are are common interests, are common concerns, and I would like to always think of the greater good for our community and the state. So the district I currently represent includes all or part of four counties, Erie, Wyoming, Livingston, and a little bit of Monroe County. That will change after the first of the year. So that the new district, which will be the newly created Senate District 60, it will be wholly contained within Erie County. So it's easier to say what it will not include. It does not include the city of Buffalo or any of the first ring suburbs, um, except for West Semicon, and then, of course, everywhere else. But uh, I should note that I recognize we're not limited by the boundaries of the district. So while I am the voice for the people within that particular district, I also recognize that I serve everybody in the county, everybody in the region, and everybody in the state at everything that we vote on has the potential to affect everybody and that's never been lost on me and the decisions that I try to try to make I try to focus on what's good for the entire community so I um I I'm sure some of you may have questions or different areas that you'd like me to address so I'd be happy to do that
0: You've got some questions,
3: hold on a second. Okay. Senator Galvin, will you support an increase in the New York State independent living allocation of $5 million?
4: I absolutely will. And I know how important that is. And I have supported the increase for years. We haven't been successful yet, uh, but I, uh, I, I will continue to do so. I certainly will. And part of the way of supporting that is advocating by speaking up and trying to influence other decision makers, uh, both verbally as well as uh, in correspondence. And I continue to do that over the years, and I'll do so. I'll certainly do so again, so commit to doing so again. Um, I think the increase is long overdue.
3: How can people with mental illness teach government on understanding someone with mental illness and the trauma that they are experiencing?
4: I think it's important for elected officials and and public servants to be in touch with the people that they're serving um, so that they can help to ensure that they are trying to address all of the needs of the community and the various challenges uh, and obstacles that challenges people have, obstacles they face, as well as what the the solutions are. Um, I think a lot of it is incumbent on the elected official to be available, to be accessible, to be out in the community and talking with individuals and organizations about their various concerns. And if they're not, um, as far as the individual, I think it's important that they do their best to continue to to reach out to the public officials and to the extent that you can, don't take no for an answer. If people don't wanna meet with you, you insist that they do. and You know, you continue to reach out and reach out and reach out until they respond. And if they don't, well, that's what if they don't, we have the power of the vote to elect somebody else who will listen. But a lot of it um, falls on the various elected officials to ensure that they're available and accessible to everybody that they serve, in
0: my view.
5: Um, I have a question. I'm okay, so I sorry. An yeah. um, I would like to know what you will do to increase access to employment for persons with disabilities.
4: What I think there, there that has been a no, no question. I know it's something that I, I've discussed with many people over the years. I, I think it, there's a number of different ways, I think, to go about it. Advocacy, of course, is one of the ways. The ensuring that, um, the ensuring that also that there are laws in place to prevent against a discrimination against any, any type of individual, uh, to make sure that they are in place and there's proper oversight to make sure that that takes place. I know over times that uh, there have been budgetary items to help to provide some support, but I think what we have to start with is advocacy. I I can't tell you that I have the answers, but I can tell you that I'm willing to listen and provide the support necessary to try to make that happen.
0: Thank you so much. I see on my screen, it says a Susan
4: Carlo has her hand up. Hello? Oh, there we go.
6: Okay, hi. Hey, listen, I'm 100% disabled. I have several questions. Right now, I had just gotten out of the hospital and I'm facing the incredible lack of AIDS and services. I'm rural, I'm all the way out in Barker but it doesn't matter. You have a lot of rural constituents and yes, that are disabled, question. I'm sure. And, you know, you're talking about advocacy, which is great, which is what one of the reasons I went with Western New York independent living. However, I'm seeing like for AIDS right now, they just took away um, in-home AIDS. 20, they're paying them for 13 hours when they're there, 24, assuming that they have only gotten you know, the rest of the time sleeping and eating while their patient who's in the home that they're caring for is, you know, they're going to have like the other hours not counted. So that's almost nine hours not counted and they're not paid for that. Number one, why is that allowed? That should be illegal. That is like slave labor. And that's for, think about it. If you had your mom, your grandma, somebody in the home that was um, unable to care for themselves and, you know, you're working and what are you supposed to do? They and how are they supposed to work a 24-hour shift? That means they're literally working on. So number one, I'd like you to investigate that and see how that can be helped. Number two, as the wages, we just went up to $15 and 20 cents an hour to start an aid. But comparatively, when you look at um, other work opportunities, you know, look at Burger King and all of that. There, you know, why would you be an aide when you can go work at Burger King for more money? So I think we should still have a, a a law that every so often they get increases and they get more benefits. If you look at the benefit package they have, I would, I would implore you to do that because there's so much more that should be offered to them um, if you look at other uh, nursing opportunities. And I know they're not full nurses, but my goodness, they're taking care of your mom and your grandma. So it's super important that they don't mess up. Um, also, I'd like to know in the budget, how much money is allocated right now I'm in Niagara County, but I would say for every county that you represent, how much money is allocated into education in the employment industry? Because half the battle I think when I go out is the invisible disability, that's what I have. They can't see it, but I am disabled. And so then they assume, and you get into, if you, I'm sure you don't have this at your work, but lots of people I know, they're running into job discrimination. They're running into, oh, we're not gonna ask you to do anything even if you are disabled. Because we don't, you know, da- deep down think that you're going to really participate and, and give us any kind of help, which isn't true. I think disabled people are really, really wanting to work. They have a good work ethic. And uh, the other thing is, the what would you be doing for the absolute shortages of nurses, of doctors? We are in a terrible state right now across this country, and it's only going to get worse because how? If you look at it, data-driven.
4: Oh, you cut. Your, you what you you just muted yourself, I think, or somehow you became mute. Are we there? Yes.
6: Okay. What point did you? Uh, I heard
4: you say data driven, and then you went out.
6: Okay. What uh, the data? I'd like to know what the data is on the amount of disabled people that need to be serviced in our whole Western New York.
4: You're out again. You're muted again.
6: Ash. Okay, I don't know why he keeps doing that. But anyway, I'd like to know um, the amount of people that are being serviced in the Western New York area that are disabled. Excuse me, I'm Senator Gallagher, when you
3: ask the one question, we're out of time. And if in fact you can give us the um, answer to the question, you can email it to us and we will be sure to forward it to um, Susan, thank
4: you. Wait, I'm sorry. I. I couldn't hear you. You were really distorted. Please
3: answer one question and we're going to have to allow you to email your answers to us so we can forward them to Susan because she had multiple questions and we're ready okay. to uh, begin our next candidate.
4: Okay. Let me, let me talk about the funding and the aids and combine that with the shortage. Uh, there was an increase of 5.4% Last year for the AIDS, it wasn't enough. A number of us were were advocating for 11% with an annual cost of living increase. Uh, We fell short. We have to keep trying at that. That contributes, among other things, to the shortages. And even though uh, nurses get paid better, uh, they're dealing with some of the same things, uh, trying to attract people to these various jobs and trying to find the people that are there and helping to provide some financial support in my view to uh, make those jobs more attractive it's a long it, it's going to be a long process the state did try to deal with some of those things last year susan i don't have all of the questions i can give you my email right now it's this, 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 this it'll come in it's, it's easy it's gallivan at ny 7governor if you email me those other questions we'll follow up
6: thank you for your time
0: thank you
5: okay i have another question Many people with severe disabilities get released from the New York State correctional facilities with nowhere to go. Where should they go?
0: Is that
4: question still for me? Yes.
5: <laughs> oh, okay. I thought I thought I was I thought I was cut off. No, I think you can answer this one. <laughs> Okay, um, really good
4: question. If you, if you go back years ago, following Willowbrook in the state's response, well, among the states, some of the very appropriate response was a deinstitutionalization of those with mental health issues, um, but it came along with a failed promise to provide enough, enough community-based services. And then what we saw over the years is that, is that those with the mental health issues That didn't have anybody who cared about them or loved them or or weren't in the position to be able to care for themselves landed in the streets and ultimately landed in our prisons, which created many, many problems. Our our prisons and correctional facilities still have a a problem with too many people that are in there with mental health issues uh, that weren't properly addressed out in the community, so we have to do better in that particular area. Uh, the Department of Corrections uh, is supposed to have in place uh, a program to help, help people transition, and they start that transition process. I, I don't know exactly what time period before, but a minimum of several months before. And I, I don't know enough about it, um, but it was my belief that as far as the people being released, certainly those that are released out on parole, that they're, they shouldn't be released until they actually have a place to go and the proper supports in place. That deals with parole. It doesn't necessarily deal with somebody coming to the very end of the term, the end of their term, so that when they're released, they're released, and the state has no more authority over them. I think it goes back to the Office of Mental Health in the state, ensuring that there's enough community-based services that are available um, for the people that need them, something that uh, the, the state has been woefully short on over the years.
5: Well, can we work on that to get that fixed or make it better? Because, you know, there are quite a few people, you know, that, have <laughs> facilities that are not being taken care of. So, I mean, who do we talk to about getting that repaired or somewhat repaired?
4: Well, first, I believe it is being worked on um, and there are people, there are various advocacy groups that are working on that. And I do know uh, that the governor's office has, that the prior administration and the current administration, the executive's office has talked about that and, and put forward different proposals without really... I I can't do it off of my head without going and looking at all the specific proposals to see what's been done over the year, but I I think it does start it can start with your legislatures legislators or the various advocacy groups that have that are working on this. Many of them are New York City based, but they are working Deputy on. General,
3: we would like to thank you so much. Okay, and we're going to um, end this portion of the Meet the Candidates Day. and now we have County Clerk. Mr. Michael Kearns, who is going to make a presentation to us.
5: Thank you, Mr. Gallivan. Thank you.
7: Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here today. Uh, My name is Michael Kearns, and I am the Erie County Clerk. So, as you know, to many of you, uh, I'm not a stranger to you. Uh, We have been working on many different disability issues since my days as a City of Buffalo Common Council member, uh, making sure that the City of Buffalo followed all ADA standards uh, for infrastructure. Uh, When I became a New York State Assembly member, uh, we were able to work, Todd and I, work on many issues to make sure that our inner harbor projects, and other projects at the state level uh, were ADA compliant and making sure that everyone had access to these projects. Uh, One of the things I'm most proud of is working with the previous speaker, Senator Galvin. Uh, We were able to save the uh, Western New York uh, Children's Psychiatric Center, the number one rated facility in New York State when I was in Albany. I sponsored that legislation uh, and working with him and working with the advocates in the community. uh, Not only is that facility open today, uh, in addition to that, uh, to the great leadership of many of the different state representatives, they are now expanding uh, that facility for many of our children that do have mental health issues uh, and that are facing some very difficult times, both them and their families. Finally, uh, as a New York State representative and carrying this over, I filed legislation to extend paratransit service. Uh, And one of the things we have a local celebrity here today, Stephanie, Stephanie's Law, who's been advocating uh, for this with me for nearly eight years. But one of the things I've been able to do, and I want to do, and I know one of the questions is, bring greater uh, accessibility uh, to people and to transportation. We know that the number one uh, obstacle to people with disabilities is not having transportation. And under the ADA and the federal requirements, uh, in many instances, our local authority, uh, the NFTA, uh, doesn't do the greatest job of making sure that not only you have access uh, to that service, but it is limited uh, to three quarters of a mile from a bus stop. Uh, My legislation and now Stephanie's law would expand that to three miles. I'm now currently the Erie County Clerk and some of the initiatives that I'm working on, uh, we talked about Stephanie's Law. Uh, We process uh, real estate transactions. And as part of that, uh, the mortgage tax, NFTA gets a percentage of that. uh, And we send approximately about $25 million to the NFTA every year. We have formed a committee, a transportation committee Where we are working in partnership with the not-for-profit community to hold the NFTA and others accountable to make sure that uh, we can get the best possible service uh, for our most vulnerable population. In addition to that, I'm proud to announce that we are partnering with Columbia Law School uh, on another initiative to make sure that there is a survey to give you a voice so that you're just not listening to the elected officials that you can yourself and others say what is needed when it comes to transportation. I was approached by a young man named Danny Porter and Sue Christie, his mom, about uh, access to the DMV. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've been able to institute Danny doors, uh, sliding doors to provide greater accessibility. And when I've renovated all of my facilities uh, at the DMV, We have made sure that they are all ADA compliant and we have listened to our disability community about amending countertops to make sure that they're accessible. When you talk about employment, one of the biggest uh, impediments to someone besides transportation of getting a job is identification. So each uh, year uh, we provide numerous outreaches for the disability community where they can come into the Erie County Clerk's Office. And we help them through the process to give them identification. Uh, We will be having one uh, this Saturday, a matter of fact. And I'm very looking forward to seeing many of my friends. So this is a very important job. But you also have, as advocates, an important job too. And I believe that uh, my record of uh, being an advocate, I have a brother uh, who's been in state care for quite some time. Uh, I've been there uh, fighting uh, for additional funding at the state level and, of course, always being a watchdog for the disability community and doing the best that I can. So we are partners. Uh, We're working together and I will continue to listen and I will continue to provide uh, the greatest accessibility for the people who need it the most. With that, I'd be happy to answer.
0: <sighs> oh my. Oh, well.
8: Todd or Tech, I don't know if you can hear me, but we've lost the audio from you all.
2: Like,
1: Our next speaker is uh, Higgins.
9: Is he in the
0: room? He's in the room. Oh, he's virtual.
9: Virtual. Yeah. He is.
3: Our next speaker is the honorable Congressman Brian Higgins, who represents the 26th Congressional District. Thank you, Congressman Higgins for being
5: here. How you doing? What's the format here? There he is. Hi there. Okay.
10: How would you like to start?
1: Uh,
10: I'm not hearing anything. So if I'm
8: ignoring you, it's not because I'm. Are you able to hear me, Congressman? I heard you. Yes, sir. I'll go ahead and throw a question out there since we're at a impact. And I see you. I've got my video on, so I'm and not sure you. what. You do see me? I see you and I hear you. Fantastic. Uh, what can you do to increase the access to public transportation, both for disabled people and other populations? And well, the urban as well as bi- rural. I'm sorry, the last part? Urban as well as rural. Yeah.
10: Uh, well, uh, the new infrastructure law, bipartisan Infrastructure law is the largest investment in infrastructure in the history of the country, exceeding that of the New Deal, uh, which was done in three iterations. And it was about $41 billion in 1930s dollars. It was about 687 billion in today's dollars. This is a trillion dollars. A lot of that money is going to transit. And a lot of that is going to expand the reach of public transportation not only in urban areas that are underserved uh, but also um, suburban and rural areas as well whereas you know uh access to uh, health care is a dire need and you know you know the rules the, the, the issue is the law of economics you don't have a lot of people in rural areas and therefore there's not a lot of providers there so uh, transportation access to providers is critically important so I'm working with the Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority we get along sometimes sometimes we don't but there's a lot of money and I voted for that money and I expect this community not only to get its fair share but to make sure that it it provides access to people who for for whom access is particularly problematic and that's both in the urban area and the uh the outlying areas as well
8: is there anything we ordinary citizens can do to assist you in making sure that niagara county gets its share
10: yeah i think you can i think that it, it could be very very helpful look independent living and it's it's a consortium of of uh, not-for-profits and volunteers you know have street credibility uh, in terms of, of uh, you know, providing and looking after being advocates uh, for people that want to live independently, but for whatever reason, including transportation, it, that, that becomes a challenge. So anything on a letterhead of a or several not-for-profits uh, directly to my office and to the, uh, the Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority, is very very important. Whenever the NFTA, uh, Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority, has a public hearing about any proposed service cuts uh, or you know new uh, extensions or improvements to the light rapid rail transit system or paratransit, uh, show up. Show up. Showing up is very very important, and advocate for the very issue that you would ask me about. Uh, what I can do, uh, what I have done, what I'll continue to do is make sure that those uh, categorical funding grants that improves access to, uh, to people who are, you know, in both the urban, suburban and rural communities to make sure that those uh, areas of funding are properly funded and accessible uh, to the local agency, in this case, the NFTA, that is responsible for public transportation. We don't do a good job in public transportation. Uh, you know, the, the access is, is is less than desirable. Uh, the quality of the experience is not good. And Buffalo has gotta, you know, change uh, and make it uh, not only, you know, accessible, but make that experience a good one. So that those who are dependent on public transportation aren't frustrated by the very agency that
8: is responsible for providing that. Let's make it more attractive than sitting in traffic. Absolutely. Thank you. That's well, an excellent. excellent answer. Well said. Does anybody else want to jump in? I'll, I'll change gears here a little bit then. What can your office do policy-wise to assist in the transition of various populations, say from nursing homes or from correctional facilities back into, particularly people with disabilities, back into the home community? Yeah, look,
10: financially and morally, it should be everybody's objective to allow those that want to live independently to live independently. Um, so that's an issue with funding through the Medicaid program a lot of, particularly the developmentally disabled community, uh, 70% of funding is provided through uh, the Medicaid program, 60% of which is federal money. So getting federal money in the Medicaid program is obviously helpful in helping people if they're not uh, uh, living independently to transition back to independent living. The other issue, and you know this better than I do, is the difficulty of finding people to work uh, in that area? Uh, it's not easy work. You not only have to be, you know, a person that's you know built to help other people, but you've got to be patient and you've got to be willing to be a friend as much as anything else, because the physical services that you provide, somebody who's trying to live independently that may otherwise end up in a nursing home. Um, It requires, you know, a skill. And typically these workers are low paid workers. We have to recognize that if there is dignity in work, that has to include everybody, especially those that care for the most vulnerable amongst us. You know, you know, particularly with the developmentally disabled community, you know, back in the 70s, there was a big transition. And the idea was to deinstitutionalize people so that they could live in neighborhoods, community residences. They called they called them. And I know from personal experience that that was very controversial at the time. Uh, if there was a people incorporated, for example, a community residence that was you know designated for a particular area, it'd have to go to the city council for a variance or a zoning change and. You know, all the protesters would rise up and talk about property values and public safety issues and all those other. Things. As you know, primarily those are those are caricatures that do not are not supported by fact. But you know, people have a tendency to oppose things that they don't understand. Our responsibility is to make people better understand that. Uh, people that end up in community residences, regardless of their background, are net contributors to the community, and you, that's Congress. what this is all about. So, I, I think making we have to deal with the funding issue. It's, it's the reality of the
3: situation. Congressman, we would like to thank you so much for participating at our Meet the Candidates Day. And we will now go to our next candidate, Mr. William Conrad III, who is the assembly member of the 140th and 40th district. Thanks, me. For... Thank you. Um, first of all, it, it's Bill
11: Conrad. The uh, last time I was called out, I was in trouble in the principal's office. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Bill Conroy represents uh, parts of Black Rock Riverside, uh, the Tonawandas, from North Tonawanda City, Tonawanda, town of Tonawanda Village of Kenmore. District's changing a little bit in this upcoming uh, redistricting, as we would call it. And uh, just a little bit about myself. I'm father of four kids. I'm a former educator. I taught social studies. Uh, and my wife's a special ed teacher uh, for 22 years. And uh, I've had the pleasure of serving the people of the 140th for two years now, almost two years. And uh, I won't beguile you with anything about myself, but uh, certainly would welcome any questions and kind of inquire about myself or my stances on any politics related to you. So, I'll open up the floor. Questions,
1: sure. sure. Well,
11: I, I I think I was just I literally before I came here, I was at a symposium at U, UUP had put on above state where it was a mental health crisis nationwide. And uh, what we started to see, and I know Byron Brown spoke about it, but also so did the town Tonawanda. We're starting to, we got that 998 number now, right? We're trying to get people to call if they're in crisis for mental health crisis or what have you to be able to have those social workers, those folks on staff. I think behavioral health is with the town Tonawanda police. We're trying to get that move in that direction to kind of be able to de escalate and, and teach those police also the skills to be able to deal with that. If that's where you're going in the direction, we're starting to see a move in that direction. 998 has gotten more numbers, calls for suicide prevention, but it's also meant to be not 991 or 911, but an answer to that in our public. So we're starting to see a shift in our resources, but also the mentality of how do we de escalate these situations and how can we treat them without them turning into tragedy. Uh, kind of before the hand. And I know the town of wanted the city of Buffalo are doing that, and I'm working in my capacity to make sure that police have those funds to be able to do that, uh, as well as keep maintain what they're doing as well. So, yes,
1: Palmer, yeah. I'm, I'm a self I've been an advocate since I was 21 years old. I have this is my first bill that I am doing. I okay. have a bill that's in the assembly and in the Senate, it's all in the finance in the Senate, sure. In assembly, it's stuck. It's stuck in transportation. Okay. I want to know if you will co-sponsor my bill and help me with my bill to get it passed out of the transportation in the assembly. I really need help getting my friends and the veterans and the seniors better paratransit. Because people are being stranded with Mm paratransit. If my bill passes, it will make it go three miles from a bus stop because right now, paratransit only goes three quarters of a mile of, from a bus stop and a young lady, she got, they hit the bus company until the Lancaster police called them. A young lady works at Amazon. She had to catch the nine o'clock bus she doesn't start work until 3:15 in the afternoon. She got her wheelchair got stuck in the middle of the wall They had called, they had to call the bus company and they please asked them what they're gonna do about this young lady getting stuck. I need some help getting this bill passed because it's very important for the veterans, for the seniors, and for myself.
11: Okay, well. Like everything, I'd love to see the bill itself. I want to take a look at it. I've supported in the past the study recently to take a look at paratransit. I've talked to veterans in my own district where we have folks who need to get to their services and can't get there, or it's so expensive for them to be able to get there that it's it, it's a hindrance, it's a barrier for them to getting treatment. We keep talking about that over and over again. We got to eliminate these barriers to be able to get folks to the places where they need to be. So I'd love to sit down with you. I'd love to look at the bill and then I'm not in the transportation committee, so I can't spring it out of there, but I certainly can lend aid to that.
1: And we also pay $70 for that.
11: I'm very well aware. Yes, I agree.
9: You might tell them the more commonplace name of your
11: bill.
1: My bill, its right now, it's called the Paratransit Bill, but if it passes, it's going to be named after me. Okay. Stephanie's Law. Stephanie's Law? Yes.
11: I like it. I like it a lot. I, I, you're, you're in my wheelhouse. Let me put it that way. So, I think you're, you're, you're getting a sense from me where I, in directions. We're trying to remove barriers for people getting the help they need. That's, that seems to be a theme, uh, and at least in the Western New York majority, whether it's the state majority as well. Other questions? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that we have been working on is actually clearing the bus. Uh, station and rest stops that's been a, a, a bane in my existence in office is making sure that we can get accessibility to the actual bus stops themselves. Uh, and I've had set up several meetings with them to make sure that we can be able to get there because for, I don't know about you, but during a snowfall, it's an absolute disaster. And one of the things that we kept noticing on going past Hurdle or getting into Riverside or Black Rock in that community, uh, either Kenmore as well, right on Sheridan Drive, is that the businesses are, are left. Who's responsible? We're trying to hammer that out. And if it has to be done legislatively, but that's one of the things that we're working on right now. is just trying to get that some dignity of the folks that are using these transit systems is such an important piece of everything. Um, especially so, the winter time. Absolutely. The
9: snow is piled up the oh, stop, so my my
11: staff themselves took shovels and started shoveling some of them and clean up garbage right on Sheridan Drive. I got to give a Jermaine on my staff a lot of praise. And she's, you know, she loves Jesus and <laughs> she's working for the chapel now. But she was on my staff and she went out there and picked up the trash. My staff has gone out there with shovels because we wanted to make a point. If not who, then, you know, if not us, then. who? So we got to make those actions. And if we got to send a message there and I have spoken to the NFT on this and I'm not letting them off the hook, I've said, okay, when are we having this meeting? Oh, we'll talk in the summer. You're going to put me off and then winter comes, it's going to snow soon, right? Winter's coming. And then we're going to have the same problems. I almost swore. I, I shouldn't have. So <laughs> any other questions? Yes. Uh, given your history as an educator, I'm sure you can appreciate how necessary technology is for function, independence, and
9: quality of life in, in every area of life. Sure. includes education, work, communication, socialization, citizenship as we're seeing now, uh, even sleep that's how we wake up in the morning sure um, but people with disabilities encounter you know numerous technology access barriers in everyday life including physical access uh, lack of awareness and education about assistive technologies that are needed to access technology uh, limited funding uh, lack of broadband access um, so I, I'm wondering uh, what can be done in terms of you know, infrastructure and policy and budget uh, to support uh, development of technology-related services um, to, in order to improve access to technology. Well,
11: you bring up a lot of things i think broadband's a rough broad topic that we can talk about rural areas there's dead zones in the city the availability of, of competition you know we can get into that on its own for a conversation but you know as when i was a town councilman uh we had a, i was very lucky to have a couple citizens that were were blind and they would attend our town board meetings and they would update us to the point where we started talking about the website and how it's it's just not accessible and they would bring it to our attention and we were able to put together a disability committee and started to really look at things from there. I, I think this is a question, not only for the science and technology, but also the disability committees. Where, where is this gonna be in the budget? I've sat in on school district meetings when we're talking about making sure an IEP or a 504 is accommodated and what technology translator, what have you is needed. Uh, but you know, what about the accessibility to the general public? We look at the library now for hotspots and so many other things. Maybe that's a realm where they can kind of come in. They've been doing a lot more health screenings as well uh, and getting people access to technology, not just handicapped, but I think the the general public, especially when they don't have an access to those things. And how many applications do we fill out today? How many things that we do have to be online? And if you don't have online, uh, how devastating that could be. So I think moving in that direction, I think looking at that as a budgetary item in this upcoming fiscal year uh, and also making a commitment on that. You know, is, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We've been talking about broadband for 10 years. Let's, let's start to put the ground, what we need to do and go forward. I mean, we have a worker shortage. We all know that we're seeing it in many capacities from nursing on to AIDS uh, all the way through. Uh, we're looking at workforce development. We've got a lot of problems out there and we're going to have to, you know, we're a mile wide in our issues, but we're going to try to have to hone in on a couple and solve them in the meantime. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm done? Yes.
7: Well, thank you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I appreciate thank you so it. Same thank you. And now we have Edward Rath III, who is a candidate for the 61st Senatorial District.
12: Well, good afternoon, everyone. I am State Senator Ed Rath, and I am very happy to be here. And uh, what is the format? Do I introduce myself and talk for a little while on the issues and answer questions? Okay, I can do that. (laughs) Uh, I am uh, from Amherst. Uh, That is where I was born and raised. And I'm proud to be the senator right now representing the town of Amherst, as well as the 61st Senate district. Uh, I am married to my amazing wife, Amy. I am an extremely lucky man. And we have three beautiful daughters, Louise, Cecilia, and Jocelyn. As I said born and raised in Amherst and I've been a state senator for two years. Before that uh, I was a county legislator for 13 years uh, and have actually been here several times in the past as a county legislator presenting uh, who I am and what my priorities are uh, and answering your questions. Uh, As a state senator uh, some of the priorities that I have focused on for the first couple of years certainly has been working uh, as the ranking member of the local governments committee Uh, taking care of the needs of our local governments, the state legislature, working with our local governments by way of resources, projects, uh, as well as uh, services that need to be provided. Uh, Also, I'm the ranking member on the Elections Committee, and there has been a lot of very positive reforms and changes to the election law, which uh, have improved voter access and have improved uh, the capability for people to uh, vote uh, via absentee. Uh, as well as uh, the ability for people to have trust uh, in their elections systems and processes. As a candidate this year, there are some things that I think are very important for me to share what my priorities are this year. First of all, we have an affordability crisis in New York State. Things are so expensive right now in New York State and New York State can fix it with some reasonable tax and some reasonable reforms to our regulations. If you can imagine this, New York State is last, 50th out of 50 when it comes to affordability. Every other single state is cheaper than New York State, if if you will, by way of cost of living. So we have to address the affordability crisis. Think of how expensive it is at the supermarket these days. Think about, I just went and got $20 worth of gas, and it was five gallons. So it's not a lot of gas for for $20. Uh, and also uh, all the other costs like our energy costs that we have to to heat our homes. It's gonna be twice as expensive as it's been in the past. So that's the affordability crisis we have to address. Secondly, we have to focus on crime. New York State is a lot less safe than it used to be. And the reason why it's a lot less safe than it used to be is because we've had a number of policies, unfortunately, uh, that have not uh, kept our law enforcement properly funded. And has not kept our law enforcement properly supported by government. So I believe that we have to focus on crime and the rising level of crime that we're seeing, both violent and nonviolent offenses that we're seeing in New York State. Crime is up dramatically. If if government isn't keeping the people safe, ladies and gentlemen, government isn't doing its job. Lastly, uh, we have. I'm very concerned and I'm very dis disappointed with the level of corruption that we see in Albany these days. Uh, There has been one scandal after another. Time and time again, we're seeing backroom deals that are being done and deals that are being made that are illegal in our state. And New York State can and it must do better than that. Lastly, a couple of important priorities that I have accomplished in the past that I want to share with you. The most proud moment that I had actually happened in the county legislature Uh, And it was actually the idea that I had in Erie County was taken statewide. And it's the idea of a silver alert. We know what an Amber alert is when our kids go missing. Well, I wrote the law for the silver alert. When our seniors go missing, we had to have a plan to find our missing seniors. A lot of times through Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, people would wander away from their homes, not even knowing what they're doing. And we had no plan to find these people and lives were lost. So the idea that I had in Erie County actually was taken statewide to protect our seniors, because we had dozens and dozens of people who were dying uh, when they go out in the dead of winter uh, and uh, would never be found. That was the first thing. And the second thing, and I'm working on this in Albany too. We have so much bullying right now in our communities, very aggressive online cyber bullying uh, that is going after our children and is going after. Every single individual in our community, including people with disabilities, I made it illegal to cyber bully in Erie County. We're now working on making it illegal in New York State. It has gone far too far, and it's sometimes, most times, anonymous online. We have to fight this to protect our children and to protect people with disabilities and every single individual in New York State. So I'm also a firm believer in listening more than I talk.
1: (laughs) Because I
12: only know what I know. And you're the people who have the questions. You're the people who are curious about what I stand for. But I will tell you this. It is my absolute honor to be a state senator. Uh, It is, for me, an opportunity for me to work with every single community and every single organization to learn about what your priorities are. And the way that government works to me is it starts with learning the issues. That's awareness. Then you figure out the process, how you can fix things. Then third, you take action. So awareness, process, action. That's how I go about government. And so I'm so happy to speak with you all again. Two years ago, we didn't have this, uh, but I'm glad to be back. And now uh, I'll answer any of your questions that you have, and I look forward to them. Yes.
1: Um, You mentioned you're coming up with one for New York. How long is that to take?
12: We already proposed the bill. It's Senate Bill 7600, uh, and it is before committee in Albany. Uh, And hopefully, God willing, I'm elected to go back to the Senate. I can continue to work on my colleagues to take it seriously and bring this about because it's gone way too far, uh, this online cyberbullying. I'm going to continue to fight for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Over here. Yep. What are
1: you doing about transportation? Because right now, people with disabilities like myself and seniors and veterans, I have a bill that's in the Senate right now. Tim Kennedy is my main sponsor. Mm-hmm. I'm going up against the NFTA because paratransit only goes three quarters of a mile. That's right. And if my bill passes, it's going to make the paratransit go three miles.
12: I'm very familiar with that bill. And uh, you were talking to the right person in Senator Kennedy because he actually chairs the Transportation Committee. So you have a good access to the right person. And I'm supportive of that piece of legislation because transportation access is a huge problem in our communities. And uh, if it's paratransit uh, transportation, uh, you need to go that full length of the of the uh, the journey, not just three quarters of the distance. So I will ch- I will partner with Senator Kennedy and fight to get that approved in Albany. I don't
1: know why we can't do something like Pennsylvania does because right now we pay $70 for one bus pass, that's for 20 trips. Pennsylvania, they use the lottery money for the the senior citizens, for the disabled, and for the veterans. And they give them a bus pass for the lottery money. Why can't we do something like that here in New York State?
12: I love the way you think. uh, Because uh, there are other states that are doing it right. And in your example, it's Pennsylvania, we don't need to reinvent the wheel many times. We just have to build a better wheel and Pennsylvania is doing it better. Let's follow what they're doing. And mind you, we are carrying billions of dollars of surplus every year in our state budget. Billions of dollars. Transportation access should be one of our priorities because we have the extra money. Let's provide that transportation access. See, I'm
1: on low income. And if I don't have the money to pay for that tax, then I got both the mom and dad. And they're both retired. And I don't like taking money from
12: mom and dad, but I don't have to. And, and mom and dad have less money now than they did a couple of years ago because everything's that much more expensive these yes. days. You're right. I know exactly the issue you're talking about. And you know what? Albany needs to have its head on straight. And a lot of times Albany is not passing legislation, which is appropriate or necessary for our challenges here in Western New York. A lot of times we're taking care of the agenda for New York City and we need to take care of Western New York.
1: Yeah. On the topic of paratransit, I know Stephanie's been for this film for eight years. Um, we just got to see the RFP this week for the paratransit study, which this study is expected to take upwards of 18 to 24 months to complete. That could be another two years before we have those results. Is this a bill you see yourself pushing to be passed before the results of that study, or is everyone really just waiting for this study?
12: Well, first of all, I would hope that we could expedite the study. Uh, Because 18 to 24 months is two years, and that's two years of more waiting uh, to the challenges that everyone is facing here. So uh, the first thing I would suggest is we say, well, why on earth is it going to take so long? We know what the challenges are. We know where the problems reside. Why can't we expedite the study? Number two, I think, yes, we should consider passing the bill first, because then maybe that will say, all right, well, the legislation is passed. We just got to get this study finalized. There needs to be a sense of immediacy in Albany. And we don't see that enough. We see Albany just kind of going along to get along. And that's part of the reason why I ran for office a number of years ago was to bring about change and to bring about the necessary change we need to see. And this transportation access is certainly one of the most important issues that we're confronting right now in Albany. Yes, sir. Now I thought about my every about
1: the suspicion goes a race, the next people have a pay raise. For the Social Security, that's what, it says 9 point something for Social
12: Security, for our funds. Yeah, you're referring to the Social Security increase? Increase, yeah. That's right. And you know what? Uh, people who are on fixed income uh, and who rely on Social Security, I'm, I'm, I'm in support of that. We should have that Social Security, Social Security increase. It's hard to say fast. Uh, but to me uh, because rising costs are happening everywhere right now. Let's do what we can to provide those type of uh, increases in money so that people can pay their bills.
9: So given your stance on crime, uh, a ludicrously disproportionate percentage of people who are incarcerated are people with disabilities. Uh, So what can be done for a preventative
0: standpoint
9: to address the social conditions that are related to uh, these crimes happening in the first place?
12: Uh, Well, there's sort of two parts to that question. Um, I think if there is, uh, to your point, a significant increase in people with disabilities who are the recipients of crime, is that what you're saying? Uh, People who are incarcerated for committing crimes. People who are incarcerated for committing crimes. Okay, go through that again. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh,
9: So... A large number of people who are um, for committing crimes are people who have disabilities. Oh, I see.
12: And I'm wondering what can be done to address the social conditions that are making people desperate enough to commit those crimes? Well, I think we have to start with education and we have to understand what type, what are those conditions that are uh, uh, causing uh, uh, these crimes to occur? And uh, for me, it starts with that. And if it's working with government, working with uh, agencies uh, that are in the community, working with people with disabilities, how can we as a government stand up and participate and try to eliminate those social conditions which might be causing these crimes to occur? So uh, it's proactivity. Proactivity is really what it comes down to. And a lot of times government just sits back, back, and you've heard me say this a couple times today, and not be proactive enough. And you know why? Because government doesn't listen. And we have to have government listening. So, to your point, you're telling me something I was I was unaware of. Uh, and I knew I'd leave here today educated, and now I am. So, thank you. I
1: just yeah. wanted to say, I to do the four stimulus check. I guess, but the four stimulus, the four stimulus check, the four stimulus pain, I got, do you know we you're supposed to
3: receive? You're receive the four stimulus.
12: I'm not aware of a forced stimulus check uh, and, and uh, that being uh, made available to people. Um, if it is, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's, it's on its way, but I'm not aware of, of an additional stimulus check. hand over here, yes. Hi, just to build up with the gentleman that process, um, what do you, what do you plan on doing about or what can you do about uh, the issues of
1: uh, human rights, civil rights, personal rights?
12: Well, I think that we have to always be focusing on human rights, civil rights, and personal rights. Uh, And as a government leader, uh, it's important that we ensure that everyone's rights are protected and that government provides uh, the legislation, uh, provides the services, and provides the support to ensure that our human rights and our civil rights are protected for everyone. There's not anyone that we should uh, say, okay, uh, you know, this is, uh, a right that should be prioritized in one direction or another. These are rights for everyone. And when I work in government, I work with open hands. I've always worked with open hands, not closed fists. Because to me, that's how you work together. You create a reasonable working environment, a reasonable working environment where we can come up with positive solutions. And to your point, we should all be gathering around the table and protecting everyone's human and civil rights. Yes, sir. Question going back to the fair transit. Is with the legislation that the NFK got that trial funding for $750,000, would we be able to expedite a pilot program instead of just the RFP for, for research study where we're actually could get wheels on the ground to have that extended
2: and
12: used up to the three miles on a temporary basis or as a pilot program? Could we help? Have you help, have you? Could we have you help? Yes. Get that out to Instead of just looking at a research study, let's get wheels on the ground to help people in a pilot I just wrote it down. That means I'm going to look into it and contact the NFTA because the NFTA is a service provider. And as such, the NFTA is only as good as a service that they provide to every resident of the Niagara Frontier. So I like the idea of expediting that because of transportation access and the success of particularly paratransit needs to be accomplished. And throughout the year, by the way, uh, not not just uh, in the winter time, it's even tougher. I'll tell you some, of are, some of
1: those dispatchers, when you call in, if you've got to call in a day before you make your arrangements. Some of those dispatchers, they could be really, some could be nice and some could be very nasty. Because I had a, I had a call for a young man that got that got stuck at the baseball field. And I, his wife had a severe asthma there. And I had a go and run up to the pub and I had to hit the manager to help me get a wheelchair because she couldn't go walk all the way down to the ticket window. I asked them, I called them up, and I said, could you please come up on Washington Street and pick up them up at Washington Street at the pub? They said, you know, we can't do that, stuff. They said, you know, we can't change locations. And I said, I'm not asking you to change the whole location. I'm just asking you to change part of the location to pick those two up.
12: You know what, Stephanie, there should be reasonable flexibility, right, Uh, where uh, these dispatchers are concerned. Understanding you're in a very difficult situation, they should be able to accommodate what you're looking to uh, have them do for you
1: people like to thank you oh
12: my gosh yes we went so quickly good to see everyone thank you all very much great question
3: again let's thank Senator Ra for his participation And now we have the candidate for the 146th assembly district Ms. Katrina Zuppewo let's welcome her.
13: Hello, good afternoon. Um, Thank you for having this candidate's event this morning. Um, My name is Katrina Zeppowitz and I'm running for the New York State Assembly District 146, which is the town of Amherst. Um, I've worked in state and county government over the past uh, 10 years. And my husband and I recently uh, got involved with the Museum of Disability History, uh, raising over 20 grand for them. And although unfortunately it had to close because of COVID and, and lack of funding, it really uh, opened my eyes to the indifference from the community uh, towards people living with disabilities, even today. My um, being an advocate for the needs of, of people, um, you know, is, is something I strongly and believe in and want to do as a representative in the state government. Um, my my the, the disability community obviously would be one of my top priorities, well, along with, you know, cost of living, I think everybody feeling the cost of living. That's a big priority and getting that down would be um, one to control uh, the cost for everyone going on. Uh, Public safety and education. Um, I believe that people with disabilities have the same rights as all citizens, from education to employment, personal autonomy, dignity, and respect. I believe more housing options in the community with transportation is needed and to to meet that personal autonomy. Um, I will be a champion for budget priorities and, um, you know, my sister-in-law, Tracy, she's a resident in uh, a group home, and, you know, we experienced firsthand with COVID lockdowns, you know, the struggle of, of everyday services, and it was frustrating because we didn't have any leadership from our state, and even after the opening, it was months before, you know, they, we could figure out what was going on and to visit her, so it was really frustrating from a family's perspective, and I kind of want to Bring that sort of advocacy with me to Albany to an understanding to to get that kind of conversation and transparency from our our Albany representatives. And um, lastly, I'll just finish with before I af- uh, answer any questions is that um, my inspiration, obviously, for running uh, is a lot of my family and everything. And
14: my mother-in-law,
13: Penny Zeppowitz, she fought for. Um, people with developmental disabilities back in 1990. She was part of the Empress Town Board. And she created the first group home site review in Erie County and got 10 group homes started against obviously some major opposition within the community. And people even got nasty with her. And, and, you know, I wanna take that kind of fighting spirit of hers to Albany and she's a real inspiration to me. And and that's how I would like to be, you know, people first. That's kind of my, my nature. And helping people, and that's why I got involved. And it's sort of stepping out into the light, it's a little hard to be the face on the, the face out there getting the questions, but that's what I want to bring to Albany. Um, so thank you for having me, and I'll answer any questions. Yes, um, what would you do to support the increase of accessible and affordable housing within our community?
1: Oh, can you say that one more time? Um, what would you do to support the increase in accessible? and
13: affordable housing, the housing for accessibility and affordability I mean there's a lot of a lot of moving parts obviously with with housing and, and cost oh. I think keeping I think having the policies number one you have to start with the policies that create the cost problems keeping those down helps maintain you know good affordability for everybody across the board and then figuring out um you know key ways to make housing available to people with disabilities in the community that's that's something you can step in for and then do you know case studies and and things like that to kind of bridge the gap and and, and meet the needs um I met a local uh that I know I don't know if anybody knows the uh, western New York housing coalition I know they're just getting started and um are home of my own I'm sorry <laughs> home of my own um and I, I I met them a few years ago and right before COVID, and uh, I know everything got a little um, crazy with that, but, um, you know, it, it's it, it's that that type of, you know, living in the community and, and having enough housing, being able to be independent, that's what I think we should look for, and I know that Home my own was looking at certain state policies, and I think that, you know, if they keep going, they can maybe figure out how to do, how to get that connected so that they can make the buildings for people to live in.
1: On the topic of people living in their community, and I know you said housing, my name's Emily Watkins, I'm else, by the way. Um obviously a big issue in New York State right now is people being able to live independently in their communities. Statistics show that uh, one out of four DSP and home health aid positions are currently vacant in New York State. While there was an the increase. And
2: funding
1: to home health aides and DSPs. A lot of people are still critical, especially proper funding for home health aides. What will you do um, in order to support the future of home health care and DSP support,
13: so that way people can remain in it? Yeah, I think that we have to have um, the proper funding for for DSPs and home health aides, um, and, and uh, obviously uh, care workers uh, in general. You know, they're sort of every day with with the people that we love in the community being independent, you know, that we need to figure out what the adjustments are, you know, and make them. Um, They've always been lagging, I think, and behind the state has. Um, And I think, you know, I heard another uh, affordability crisis about how, you know, agencies aren't necessarily paying on time or the state isn't paying on time to the agencies that are getting out the, the care. And so I think taking an analysis of that and breaking it down and figuring out how to, to get it delivered and how to increase it. I mean, the frustrating part is, is with COVID, I'm not sure what happened between people being out of work and coming back to work. Um, but I think that gap is, it needs to be addressed. It's, it's critical to moving forward. I mean, you see it in every industry but this is the industry that you know, needs the most. It's the home health aides, it's, it's the DSPs, it's, it's care. It's, and it's really, I think people need to realize how rewarding it can, be. it can be. It can be hard work, but it can be very rewarding to really put somebody else's needs in front of yours. So I think analyzing that and figuring out how to properly fund it, um, you know, we could be behind the national level or even the state level. So figuring out what other states are doing. Um, but something needs to happen to really address it because COVID, I think, um, uncovered sort of that truth in the, in the gap of, of coverage. What do you
2: plan to do
1: about the, the landlords that want to say three times the rent and show people's income? and you know, A lot of us don't pay three times the rent or to show the income. Or the ones that have the secondary option and they say no. So, what do you do know, enforced? Like, you can't do that. It's
13: technically difficult. Okay, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of times laws are passed and it's the enforcement that's the issue. Um, so, I think, you know, I think working with the state agency that's in charge of the enforcement figuring out why, how they can, they can get out there in the community and sort of make that known to landlords. Um, It's important. Um, You know, I think that if, if they're not willing to kind of get out in the communities and, and do the hard work on the ground, then there's obviously something going on as far as, you know, pertaining to their duties in the office. And so they need to carry out that enforcement piece and, and work, and I think communication. You know, working with landlords, um, getting them to understand it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of laws in New York State, um, and you know, I think sometimes they're they're either number one hard to enforce or number one hard to understand. So number two hard to understand. So it's like you know, just kind of working with people in the community and bridging that um, that gap with landlords to really be like, you know, this this is the law and this is how we have to follow it and it's not just something you know. Me as the person applying for housing is just saying so. And, and maybe having you know a local representative you could go to in an office. Um, maybe exploring that you know, seeing how you could have a local advocate that can come out or call the landlord or something like that. That would be an idea. Maybe right now we need better staff in the folks because uh,
1: I had I had to help a young man. He was walking all the way from the bison field all the way to West Seneca. Because the staff didn't help him. And the area county clerk had to come and pick him up and take him home. And if he didn't do that, he would have walked home again. Right. The staff, I I I don't think a young man should be walking from 10 at 10 o'clock at night, walking from the bison field all the way to to West Seneca. Right now I'm advocating for that young man and him and his wife, and I'm trying to get them a new place to live because they they just don't have the staff over there to help them. Yeah. And I got a friend that lives in an apartment. He has to sleep all night in his wheelchair. He's been sleeping in his wheelchair for over two years. And he can't, he can't feed himself, he can't cook for himself and he needs, he needs help. So they do need staffing in the group than what they have
13: now. Right. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that, you know, when the pay scale is being increased everywhere else, except for our service sectors. You're going to lose employment and then when you lose employment you're going to lose the services and the um you know the, the care and that's a huge um well
1: staff has to make more money yeah right now they're not getting paid enough to work for the good homes right just like the bus drivers have paratransit they're not getting paid enough they want more money they said they have big bus gets paid more than paratransit.
13: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that um, that's why we're losing so many in the care section, you know, into just uh, other sectors of the businesses or, or you know, into the private sector versus the public sector is that if the cost hasn't gone and it hasn't met the rising costs that, are, that we're seeing. So getting the cost of living under control, you know, and, and getting the, the overall cost, I think, down and then also raising you know, the, the amount that you're giving your workers, that that will even out a little bit, hopefully, and that's what uh, we, there's a lot of work to be done in the state, but it needs to happen. Where do you stand on the state of paratransit
1: in New York? Um, Stephanie and other self-advocates have been advocating for eight years for expansion of the paratransit service area. Uh, this year, they received funding at the NFTA in order to do a study. We saw the request for proposal this week. It says the study is estimated to take upwards of 18 to 24 months to complete. That's how much time they're getting the consultant. Do you, where do you stand as far as passing a bill that would uh, expand your transit, or do you need to see the study before you
13: make a decision? on that? It's a good question. I, I, think, I think, you know, um, as far as, like, Costs go, you know, I think studies help to figure out how much it's going to cost to do certain things, and I think they're necessary to kind of, you know, make sure that you know we're using tax dollars to the fullest extent. Um, do I think maybe the the time frame for getting that study into you know the hands of legislators that might need to be cut down if it's not happening? Um, you know, I think keeping our state agencies which obviously, you know, is not necessarily part of the, it's, it's part of the executive branch and not the legislative branch, but what we can do as legislators is statutorily put those time limits on. And if, you know, the time limit is not being met, then you have to go back and, and, and make sure, number one, they're, they're, they're holding to that or make it a shorter time statutorily. I think that holding the uh, administrative you know, offices accountable that's a big part in making sure that timelines are met. I know, you know, there are timelines for when you apply for, you know, like for schools, um, for your child to have uh, special needs evaluations, there's a 60 day, uh, they have to return to you. So I think having them statutorily put in place keeps them accountable. And that's what we can do as legislators is, to, is, Put in those those statutory you know time limits and if they need to be adjusted they need to be adjusted because you have to have studies and you know finances in order to, to balance everything out. because everything costs obviously money so you have to make sure you're doing it and you're doing it cost effectively
1: just to make sure
3: Which for participating in the candidates' debate today. And now we have um, the candidate for the 23rd Congressional District, Mr. Max H.
1: Delpelia.
15: Thank you and good afternoon. My name is Max Delapia. My background is 30 plus years in the Air Force. Uh, I was an Air, Air, Air Force Academy graduate. I uh, practiced law and uh, did reserve uh, work as, as a, a pilot. And I had a, an opportunity to do a lot of different things in my life. Practice law on my own practice. Went to the first Gulf War, and I said I need to go. And I recommended a replacement, and I haven't been back to practice in law since 1990. They gave me a lot of opportunities, more than just flying. I actually went with the Air Force Reserve to be a Brookings fellow for Senator Carl Levin on his personal staff, and then worked for the secretary and chief of staff of the Air Force and Air Force Senate liaison. Then I did several other things that I won't get into unless you ask, uh, but I uh, I was hired away by the New York Air National Guard to be the wing commander at the, the Ski Birds, the ones that go to Antarctica and up to Greenland, um, I retired from there and uh, they named a glacier after me. That and a five bucks will get you a cup of coffee. Uh, but be a Glacier, if you're interested. Um, but then I went to work, uh, I went to F headquarters for 10 months, and then I went to Afghanistan for seven months. And I was a senior US Air Force officer as a full colonel. Uh, we had over 10,000 troops there, a NATO base from 13 countries and uh, then I went to Lockheed Martin for five years, and since then, I've just been doing community service, essentially, uh, active in Rotary, um, Meals on Wheels, uh, Tioga County Rural Ministry. They have a food pantry, and they help kids get back to school with new new clothes and new tennis shoes and a backpack, and if... uh, Somebody's working two jobs, minimum wage, they can't get ahead. They lose a transmission. In, in New York, rural New York, there aren't transportation options. They end up, they can't go to work, and they end up homeless. And we have bought quite a few used cars to keep them in their jobs and keep them from becoming homeless. So the reason I tell you this is not to pat myself on the back. It is to tell you that my motivation for running and my motivation in life is what my parents taught me. They're both uh, World War II vets. My dad was paratrooper in Pacific. My mom was role, uh Women's Army Air Corps. And they said service gives life purpose. So one of the other things that I think you would be interested to know is I was the uh, I did a three-year term with uh, an organization called the Ractor Centers. It's a tri- three-county organization. Special needs folks, we had 2,600 to 3,500, we have 760 to 800 um, uh, employees, a $41 million annual budget. And many of the same issues that you're concerned with, we are as a board, they asked me to be the board president and that's where I am right now. Um, but the reason I'm running for Congress is I think that I'm concerned about our democracy and where our country's <laughs> headed. And I feel obligated based on my old many years ago uh, to do what I can to change the trajectory. And I think the way you do that is send Congress people that are not motivated by power, money and ego, but are motivated by public service. And that's what I am. That's what I do. And that's why I'm here today, because I want to serve you. Um, So if you have there are many policy issues uh, But I think the most efficient way is to see what's on your mind. And if you'd like to ask questions, please do. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Emily Watkins. of UDFO.
1: I'm wondering how familiar you are with the United States home care and ESP crisis. Those are the workers that support
15: people with disabilities living in their homes. And um, what will you do in terms of? uh, Improving okay. That is a state issue, but it's a very important issue. DSPs, I believe, are what I call the canary in the coal mine. Because we are, as a country, a, we have a, Democrat, a de- demographic that is aging. So as we age, there will be a lot of people that need DSPs to stay in their homes. And if we don't pay DSPs properly and sufficiently, there won't be DSPs to do this job. If they can go to McDonald's and make more money, this takes a special kind of person to be a DSP or a home healthcare person. These aren't people that it takes, for me as a a board president for the Rector Center, we had 26 residence facilities. We have a respite care facility. Uh, we have audiology. Uh, we have a, a pre-K and, and we want people to live the fullest life they're capable of. And that's why we try to support them with custom uh, supports in the community or help them with residence facilities. So uh, we wanna make sure that we, have, we don't have a revolving door of DSPs. People that come in, they go, shoot, I can make more money at McDonald's and leave. We absolutely need them to do that. And uh, I will do what I can. And there are other options too. I would say uh, immigration may, may be something um, that would be helpful in this area, give people an opportunity. They can be very well trained and come in from, uh, we can vet them and they can pay, pay pay Social Security and and taxes and actually come and help the people who need it, both this organization and the people who are represented by it, but also those um, who are aging. And and it's a very important question. Yes, ma'am. That's a very important question as well. Um, I am of the opinion that we do not have sufficient uh, resources for residence programs. Uh, we need more counselors, more people, caseworkers. We need need more beds, and if we don't have that, there's very little chance that people will be able to come out of uh, drug dependency. I have seen uh, programs that are effective. Um, there's like a, a a drug court, so to speak, and rather than doing things and putting them in jail and prison and taking away, you know, they, they are actually motivated to get their kids back. And I've watched them, you know, they get up, they fall down, they get up, they fall down. But with proper support, I believe there's hope. And without it, uh, we're really putting people who may not even have intended to do, this is not recreational, this is somebody that had pain problems, perhaps, opioids. Uh, We need to support them and get them back to being functioning human beings that can take care of the kids, work in our economy, and have a full life. And and I'm fully supportive of that. Any other questions? Did I answer your question? I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. I have another question.
1: In New York State, paratransit has been a major issue of the base. Um, and Stephanie's speaker who's here has fought uh, for a bill in the assembly for eight years that would expand the service area paratransit. The NFTA just released a uh, request for proposals for a study that's has been funded by the state to see the feasibility of expanding the service area. That's, that are pieces that that study could take upwards of 18 to 24 months do you see this as an issue that needs to be expedited to the legislature ahead of the study, or do you want to see the results
15: of the study before making a decision? I think what we need is transparency. That, that part of uh, the study that actually gets people who are directly affected involved in the study. And we need it to be expedited as quickly as we can because there are people that are suffering without it. And uh, Stephanie's a perfect example of that. So um, it is also a state thing, but there are things with the ADA that um, I think we need to be uh, concerned with. Ways of supporting uh, issues like this, but we don't want to lose the good things in ADA that are there. So that's that's a balancing act. We got to make sure that we address the problems that we can, and uh, so. That's, that's about what I have to say on that. Yes, sir. Follow up on the paratransit. Going into Congress, you could go in and talk with the Federal Transit Administration. The three quarters of a mile rule from a bus stop is a uh, minimum that they set up, not a maximum. That's a very good point. Where we could go to also through Congress and help to increase it for the whole United States, including New York. You know, I that yes. would be something
2: in your position to you help do.
15: The ADA is a minimum. It is not a maximum, and you make a perfectly good point, and I would support that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you Thank you for the question. Yes, sir. Uh, first of all, I read from Air Academy High, so the like 4 your service, and- So um, in Colorado Springs? Yep. Yeah. Well, wow. what year? Uh, 2000. OK. Um,
9: <laughs> so something that's been telling about the attitude toward people with disabilities in federal government, uh, the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities is largely based on ADA. And there have been times where the United States has rejected or declined that, um, which kind of sends a message that the United States itself does not support ADA. we kind trying to of embarrass ourselves in front of the, the international community by rejecting that. And I'm wondering uh, what can be done within government to increase awareness support uh, getting respect for people who have disabilities so that uh, a situation like that doesn't repeat itself?
15: Well, I think one of the things we can do is identify people who have a heart for service and the people uh, that are uh, directly affected by the ADA that will listen and act to make things happen for people, because without it, you become a wasted resource. You are viable members of our economy, but only if we support you enough to get you to work. Stephanie lost her job, right? We can't allow that. Everybody should be respected, and we need to help them. Um, We customize, uh, we, we accommodate whatever they need to become a functioning, um, effective worker in our economy and give them the fullest life they're capable of. The Rector Center, that is our goal, to make sure everyone lives the fullest life they're capable of. That's not only just for them, it's for us too when I talk about the economy in, the, in our country. And I think it's absolutely critical, and it's it's sad if we don't. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'd be honored to have your support. Thank you very much.
3: And Again, that's congressional candidate for the 23rd Congressional District, Max Edge, right. Delapia. 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 Okay, Delapia. And now we have Sandy Magnano, who is a candidate for the 142nd Assembly District. Let's welcome her.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, It's an honor to be here. And to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been a nurse for 40 years. And I was able to work for virtual medical with my son. Um, And it was an honor because we got to see what happened to everybody during the lockdown. And it really affected everybody. And, you know, it was... For people to be isolated like they were is—I don't know that it stopped anything, but I will tell you it was very hard when people were isolated from their loved ones and weren't able to do the regular activities. Um, My son and I—it was an honor to work with him, and he's a darn good nurse. Um, And you know, we did a lot of triaging and in one of the problems we identified. So you all have these tablets in the group homes and half the time they didn't work. And that was very unfortunate because how do I take care of you? How do I assess you if I can't see you? And, uh, these were difficult times, but, um, we got through them. And, um, uh, like I said, it's, it's just an honor to, to be here and, and, uh, you know, People with disabilities um, deserve all the respect that everybody else does. And we need to work hard for you. And uh, it's just, like I said, it's an honor to be here and I'll take any questions um, from any from anybody.
9: Can you help us understand who you
1: represent? I represent the 142nd district, which is West Seneca, parts of Orchard Park, Parts of South Buffalo, Lackawanna, and part of Fillmore and Lovejoy. So it's a pretty big area. Um, And I didn't realize how large it was until I started delivering signs. And uh, I really realized then, but uh, no, it's just an honor to be here. And like I said, I'll take any questions. asking the same question. For sure. Um, my Emily. I'm wondering uh, where your position is on uh, the home care crisis, the DSP care crisis, one in four positions are vacant in your state right now. There are a lot of people who are not receiving adequate care of those homes or their group homes. What will you do to tackle this crisis? Are there certain bills you would support or what do you see as... The well, we need to, I mean, we were just speaking about the fact that they went from allotting shower times for 28 minutes to half of that. Now, how is that physically possible? That's wrong on so many levels. Um, you can't do that to human beings and we need to do better and we need to staff. And I saw these staffing crises firsthand. You know, when people don't show up, when you're not paying them enough, Well, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't come. And then if you don't show up, here are people that are working now 16 hours in really difficult situations. And we can never go back to that again. We really need to to have money so we hire people. Yes, Chair. Well, right now, I'm fighting. I have a bill for the disabled, for the Oh my God,
6: why do you get to do that to every person?
1: Right now, my bill is stuck in transportation in, it, in the assembly because I don't back the right guy on it. I've been working on this for eight years. Ah, oh, God bless you. If my bill passes, it's going to make paratransit go three miles. Right now, it only goes three quarters of a mile. Which makes no sense, does it? No. And these little bus passes, we pay seventy dollars for. Wow. Pair of yeah, it needs to go further. Yeah, and we $4 each way if we don't get the bus pass.
13: You're a fighter. I can tell that
1: I was I just told the last person that would they use the lottery money in Pennsylvania for these bus passes. In Albany, they take $2 or a donation. Here, we got the highest-paid paratransit that we pay. That's terrible. They're they're going to have to give us more Social Security money, or they're going to have to lower the bus pass, because I can't... I don't want to depend on mom and dad and take their retirement away from them and be paying for these bus passes. I agree. So they have to make up a... Decision what they're going to do. We have to do better. We have to do better all the way around. And I'm so glad you're a fighter. God bless you, dear. And you just keep fighting. This is my first bill. That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, Stephanie's bill has been you know, held <laughs> up for eight years. There's finally funding put towards the study of the NFK. We just saw the request for proposal this week. Um, they're allowing up to 18 to 24 months for a consultant to complete the study. Is, is that too long to wait? What would you support? Would you support this bill being passed sooner? Would you want to wait for the results of the study? What's the solution? We should pass this bill now. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. This young lady's been fighting. And uh, yeah, we don't need to see more data. She, she's telling her truth. She lives it. So that's got to change. How do you plan to address the racial and discrimination dynamic in your district that you observe? I'm sorry, can you speak a little louder? How do you plan on addressing the racial dynamic and
13: the discrimination that you in your district? You know,
1: I don't look at anybody through. What other people do? And that's really unfortunate. Um, and I don't understand that because as a nurse, everybody's created equal and nurses don't ask politics and they don't ask your religious affiliation unless you know we're asking for last rights for somebody. But nurses just jump in and they do the work. And you know, I have a son who's currently a nurse and he's a great nurse. actually, um, Todd was just saying you're looking for a couple of nurses. So I'm gonna put that out to my son, Jonathan, but uh, everybody is created equally and uh, you know, you've you've gotta help everybody. Yes, dear. But statistically, I mean, women of color have have much worse worse experiences, you know, giving birth. We know that boys of color who have ADHD are less likely to be diagnosed than white boys. We know that these racial discrepancies exist in the medical field, outside of the medical field. It sounds like, I mean, where are you at? Like, are you listening? How are you connecting with the different members of your community? Because I don't know. No, she's not listening. She said, I don't have it, so it's not there. But what will you do to reach out to members of your community that don't? Well, you know, when you go door to door, I go to every door. We don't again, I have this app that takes us door to door, but I don't I don't want to know your politics. I just want to talk to you and see what your issues are. And I've learned so much about people's issues. It's it's really something. I mean, people are sending and their kids. And the issue is the person behind me brought it up that people of color are treated differently. And I I understand you don't you don't Or believe you don't, but a lot of people do and what are you doing with your world, with your staff, with our world, to make that better? Setting a better example and listening to everybody and addressing everybody's concerns. I mean, when we're sending kids to school with bulletproof backpacks, that's a lot. Thank you, Brad. Oh, you're welcome. Any other questions? Thank you. Again, thank you for having me. It's really been... Thank
2: you
1: so much.
3: And again, we'd like to thank Sandy Magadano. She's candidate for the 142nd Assembly District. And now we have Mr. Stephen L. Sam II, who is a candidate for the 26th Congressional District.
16: Mr. Oh, you guys don't got to clap for me. I'm just a normal guy. Uh, my name is Stephen Sams, and I'm running for Congress for New York's 26th Congressional District. Uh, this is my first foray into politics. Uh, my a career in I've uh, got over 12 years of service before I finally uh, got beat up enough that they told me to go home. I am a 90% disabled combat veteran, so I think I'm in uh, the right place right now uh, to come and talk to people. You know, I did two tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, and during that process, I broke my back, and uh, it was a little difficult healing and getting around when I was using a cane to walk, uh, but I healed up, and I'm doing all right, still mobile. Um, I'm fortunate. you know, I'm blessed, so I had to come out, and they said, hey, you want to come talk to uh disabled community? I said, absolutely. You know, my dad, he's, you know, he has SSD and SSI that he, that's his monthly income. So I see the shortcomings that are involved in that. I've got a friend, Tracy, that I went to high school with. She's been disabled her entire life with a heart problem. And she's been forced to work to try and make ends meet. And sometimes she just doesn't have the strength or energy to do it. So, I mean, it's, I've I've been around, I've seen it. There's, there's a lot of shortcomings and a lot of things that are lacking. Um, So I just wanted to come out and, and hear from everyone and what I can do to make things better. So oh, if anyone's got questions, please.
2: Yes,
1: sir. Yeah, I'm on SSIN and SSI. I'm on the two of them. That's as deep as I want to, right? Because I want to put them on the former jobs I have. I want to tell my wife. I tried to into the Navy. I wanted to go around the world. But I wasn't able to pass the test, so that's how it is. I want to get I want to participate in that, maybe
16: make out. Well, we're glad you did. Uh, you have a heart after service, and uh, we thank you for the work that you've done throughout your life.
1: Yeah. Yes, sir. I'd like to know what you can put in the judicial system. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of young
9: black men, young black boys that are being incarcerated because they're not being diagnosed properly as a domestic dispute in the next 5th you know, century
1: when they needed some mental health services. So what can you do, you know, to maybe um, stop that? Something about it, because it's, it's getting
2: out of anxiety.
16: Well, one of the plans that I have is a community engagement team, where there's two cars per district, especially in the city of Buffalo, and then in Niagara Falls as well, where you have a licensed mental health professional and you have a police officer. Because when you go to a call that you may not know what, this, what the scenario is. A police officer arrives to a mental health call, they're not tra- not really trained to handle that. A mental health professional shows up to a call with a violence or drug-induced psychosis, they're not really help you know trained to handle that. So if you put a team where these cops can go to these specific calls that have the potential to be something like that, I think that would be better serving our community. And I want to try and get the money to make that program work,
9: but, but, and that's probably good, but the problem is
1: that once they get to the judicial part, once they get to the courtroom, they forget about the mental health, and they only focus on the charges there. and they wind up being sentenced because they were not properly diagnosed. Like there needs to be
9: somewhere where they can be assessed before they go through you know, this, this
16: process of just being locked up. And that, that's part of the process of what I want to create. As far as past tense, that's the judges are going to have to work a program where they can review these these cases and actually expedite some new judgment to get people out of their, their current situations. But I can, I can try and work on something so it doesn't happen further. Yes, ma'am. Um, what do you uh, plan to do
1: when it comes to the youth? Um, these youth, um, they have mental illnesses. They are going back and forth to the doctors. Some of them are diagnosed, some are not diagnosed. what is happening is in the home, they're in to the family, they're in to, to themselves. They're in a wraparound. I'm saying this specifically because I know, you know, consumers that I have to work with them. And as I work with them, I'm noticing that the child's in themselves and to the family. And they're in the wraparound program. They're receiving services. And they're saying, oh, you can go to respite or you can go to uh land. But what they're, they're not doing is they're not taking the child out of the home. They're prolonging it. Meanwhile, the mom is disabled, the mom is hurting, um, and, and, and the mom can't barely take care of herself. Yet she's trying to get her own services, but the son is still acting out. What do you plan to do to try to get the child out of the home without having to go to all these services but keep prolonging? It. That's they're not moving fast enough.
16: There is a shortcoming in services, there's a shortcoming in places to go. You know, we focus on other things instead of what we do when we have a problem where people can't stay together. You wanna try and keep families together the best way you can. You wanna try and provide services that allows families to stay together. Sometimes it can't, sometimes you need to remove people from a situation to allow them to have proper treatment so they can reunify later on. There's so many different places that have been shut down over the years where people can't go. I want to look into reopening those. And another big thing is we we have a very large shortcoming in affordable housing. You know, I want to rehab the parries and rebuild them all. You know, that's that's one of my top priorities is rehabbing the parries. So if, if that can get some more affordable housing, make people's lives easier so they're not stretched their dollars to the very end, that's definitely something I want to do. And I want to, you know, these different facilities, we need to reopen them and stop turning them into hotels. Right.
1: And not also funding in community supports and not just long-term residential
16: supports. Funding in community, like for people
1: to get adequate resources in their community if they can stay in their community rather than going to a longer-term residential care
16: uh, Well, you know, we'd rather, we'd love to have people stay in their communities. You know, just taking someone and stuffing them in a place and saying, "Here you go," that's not the answer we got to start treating people's problems, not just saying they have no problem.
1: But we're not treating people's problems. What are you going to do to see to it that these people's problems? These people have the opportunity to have their problems treated.
16: I'll give you a direct answer. I don't have a plan for that. That's why I'm here, to, to listen to you guys, to give me some advice, because I don't have a solution for every problem. And that's why I need to reach out <laughs> to you guys to help me form a plan for the specific things that I'm not aware of. And. specific things that i don't see but if you can if you can shed some light on that i'll be happy to listen and i'll definitely formulate it into a plan
9: so speaking from experience working with the va in the past Mm -hmm. uh the va can be pretty territorial um, and at times aggressive Uh, their assistive technology services have not been the best and they don't like to work with uh, outside contractor. So if someone has very specialized needs, that can be a big hindrance to disabled veterans. Um, in your mind, what are some things that we can do in general uh, to better support our disabled veterans, both within and beyond the VA?
16: As far as what? With living arrangements or services or rehab or
9: uh, very open ended what stands out as a
16: priority in your mind and um, all of it. Our veterans. Absolutely. All of it, you know, being, being a disabled veteran, you know, are you a veteran? I am not
9: No, my father was my brother and my
16: grandfathers. Well, thank you for your family service. They uh, are very dedicated Americans. As far as taking care of our veterans, I'll tell you firsthand, veterans went overseas and they signed a blank check up into including their life. Some of them didn't come back in one piece. I fortunate. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do that. I came back with all my limbs. Some of them are a little bit more beat up than they were when I went, but you know, I'm still I'm still vertical, so I'm doing all right. We don't do enough for our disabled veterans. We don't do enough for disabled community. Period. You know, to so to address veterans, it's it's not just the veterans that need it. You know, it's it's the entire disabled community. You know, I just I just heard some information that there was vouchers that were given in New York State, and fourteen thousand of them were given. Western New York got 86. That's insane. For housing. Western New York got new Western New York got 86. That's this is what I just heard. At a minimum, it should be 10% of your population. That's how many vouchers you could get. You know, but Western New York has a higher than average disability rate of 16%. The national <laughs> average is 14%. So why are we getting a fraction of a fraction? It just doesn't sit well with me and it's something I need to look into. But, you know, the VA, that's definitely something that we need to need to work on. And at the federal level, I can do that. Open it up for better contracts and better contractors, people that actually want to do something and get stuff done. Yes.
1: So you mentioned that you have a friend that's been working on disability. What would you do to ensure that people with disabilities so are seeing usable accommodations to be productive in workplaces?
16: You know, we definitely need to strengthen uh, the ADA. That's, there, there's people that are trying to weaken it and take parts of it out. Uh, we need to dive deeper into it and especially work with businesses to get them to enforce the standard. Because creating more laws and creating more things isn't going to work if you're, the ones that you have aren't being enforced. So I, we need stricter penalties for violations of the ADA.
1: So the question I've asked in a few minutes. Um, right now, our current training system uh, only has a service range at the federal minimum. There have been advocates asking for eight years of uh, to expand that service area. The NMTA finally got funding from the state to do a study, and the study already uh, came out this week. which says that they can have an upwards of 18 to 24 months to complete that study. There is a bill in the Assembly and Senate Um, that would expand that service range where do you stand do you want to see the survey completed before passing that bill do you want to no pass the bill immediately
16: and then when the survey results come out then we can tweak it and adjust it as we need to but people with disabilities don't just live in the city they don't just live where there's mass transit they live everywhere even in rural areas so there needs to be accommodations for them as well Yes.
3: And you told me to
1: make sure to go to work, right? To the sure I go to go to work, everything. But the of, because the of those emergencies, I have a money for, I had my steam waiting for emergencies and stuff. If I didn't work for a living, I won't have no problem having a roof over my head. And that, and the it. I'm probably out there sleeping on a park bench somewhere.
16: Yeah, we don't want that. We definitely don't want so, that. So I
1: worked for, like, I was trying to have on a dime, work for a living have my asses I have an access to
16: have an SD and stuff I have my access I everything. That's must nice that anything.
1: We'll that yeah hard work's paying off isn't it? Yeah. Yes. sir. So I want to know what would you do? What would you do to um, like
9: go to the Senate and go to Congress and yeah. try to get more money for people like us who work
1: for individuals and to get people from those in the
2: health
1: mental health community so that they can have affordable housing.
16: I can't remember what the number was. I think it was like $180 million to, to study shrimp on a treadmill. Uh, we need to stop things like that and take care of our people at home instead of sending you know billions of dollars overseas for things that have no effect on us whatsoever. It's our tax dollars. It should stay here and take care of us. That's what I believe. So
9: earlier we had uh, Brian Higgins, um, your, your professor. Uh, what is the biggest difference
16: that you can tell us between you and him? Well, Brian Higgins has been in politics since I was four years old. And uh, he started his career in Congress. I started my career in the military.
14: The biggest difference between he and
16: I is I have no special interest. I have no huge dollar donors. I spent all, mostly all my money Actually, I spent all the money I had running for this campaign because I believe in it. You know, I believe in taking care of people. I don't believe in political lines. I don't believe in political parties. I believe in the people. I believe in the community. I believe in Western New York that I love. You know, that's, that's why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this for any kind of grandeur. I'm doing this because there's people that are being underserved everywhere. And it's got to stop. You got to represent everyone and take care of everyone. Appreciate you. I hope that answered your question. Anybody
1: else? Yes, Is there You know, in New York State, we have a home care and ESP crisis uh, where one in four positions are vacant. A lot of people attribute this to low wages. There have been lots of work in states state to try and increase wages for both ESPs and home health care aides. Um, what do you support? What do you want to see happen to make sure that home health aides and ESPs, there's enough of them?
16: Well, there's been such a focus on other things, like specifically college. You know, you got to go to college and get a degree. Well, what degree are you getting is the question. You know, if you're getting a, you know, liberal arts degree, that's not really helping anybody. And there's only a finite amount of those jobs. You know, we need to, we need to do better education, better better push for things like building trades for nurses, for teachers, for doctors you know we're not we're not doing that enough you know my mom and you know three of her sisters are all nurses you know that's my mom's been in the home home health aid and there, there's just a lot of jobs but we don't we don't push it we need to better educate people on on what a good career it can be and how how fulfilling it is to help someone else and not just go after the dollars that's that's what i believe yes ma'am. I serve all of the city. Everything from Lackawanna, well, once elected, I'll serve everything. Right now, I'm just a regular guy, but it'll be everything from Lackawanna up to Lake Ontario. So, Niagara Falls, all of Buffalo, Tonawanda, Chikawaga, uh, and west of Transit Road. So, I've got the whole city. Now, we're so happy, right? Now, Zane is my house, right? Zane is happy with the
1: Wiggies' performance, up perform? me. And Miss Knight, you look adorable. I'll be with that. But, uh, so I was so happy. to Thank you again, James. And you too, Miss Knight. Thank you again. Yeah. That's so what I'm gonna be saying. I'm gonna say it. I'm going I'm saying. I'm gonna buy a fancy shirt for the to wear to I do the keep dining room clean. I do the proper lot. Wash dishes. Change. the bath. The garbage cans. Take the garbage cans. Put the garbage in the, the, box, double, the dumpster. The dumpster take the carbo boxes to the download carbon boxes cardboard downstairs all right
16: it's nice that nice well you sound like a jack of all trades
3: always we would like to thank you mr sams for coming
16: thank you guys for letting me come out today
3: and now we have Nick Langworthy who's a candidate for the 23rd congressional district
0: and he will be virtual. Hello. Hello. Hey there. Sandlerman, how are
14: you? I'm well. How are you? Great. So I wish I could be there in person.
17: Absolutely, myself included. Should, should I start my presentation now? I'm sorry, I just signed on and I, I missed. Uh... Are you asking me? <laughs> no, I'm asking our, our host, I don't.
5: If you wanted to tell us a little bit about yourself and then um, then we'll ask questions.
17: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, my name is Nick Langworthy. I am uh, proud to be uh, the Republican nominee for Congress in New York's newly configured 23rd Congressional District. Uh, the district includes uh, about two-thirds of the landmass of Erie County, most of our south towns, uh, and then the eastern towns of Erie County, but also the counties in rural uh, southern tier, Chautauqua, Cattaraugus, Allegheny, Steuben, Chemung, and Schuyler County. So we have a very geographically diverse district. It takes about two hours and 45 minutes to get from one end to the other end of this district. And uh, I'm eager to get to work uh, for uh, all of the constituents of Western New York to give them you know, some stable leadership in this congressional district uh, so we can go on and get some things done for people. Uh, it, especially the the disabilities community, which I, I I pledge to be a very firm advocate for. I, I think oftentimes we've had uh, you know uh, situations where uh, people forget about so many people that need help uh, in, in Western New York when they get to Washington or they get to Albany. Uh, and we need people that will fight with and, and, and be a, a crystal clear advocate uh, for for position. So you know there's. You know, my background, you know, I'm a proud father. Um, uh, I'm a husband. Uh, my wife gave birth to our second uh, child last week. Uh, and that's why I apologize. I'm not uh, able to be there with you in person. We just uh, uh, had a son named Oliver. We have a daughter, Madeline, who's eight years old. Uh, but we, um, we, have have been in public service here in Western New York for a very long time. Uh, I sur- currently serve as the chairman of the New York State Republican Party, which I've done for three years. And before that, I served as chairman of the Erie County Republican Party, uh, which I did for about a decade. Uh, and I have got to also serve, I was very honored to serve as a congressional aide for two different members of Congress from Western New York, in the past, so I'm no stranger to some of the issues uh, in the constituent services that are so important to uh, different elements of our community. In in trying to be that voice to cut through the red tape of the federal government uh, in Congress, and it's one of the <laughs> world class constituent service. To uh, our congressional district in the 23rd, and making sure we have a staff that's attentive to the needs of people, uh, but also, you know, to work with you and to be your advocate going forward. Uh, I, I I think that, uh, as I said before, for for too long there there have been cuts to budgets uh, that have affected the disabilities community, and, and and we've seen that a lot. You know, in those years where Andrew Cuomo was governor, uh, and we need you know stronger leadership. Uh, at all levels to to fight hard for, you know, funding for the disabilities community. Several things that are important to me, rural health care uh, and access to rural health care are our, our hospitals uh, and our medical facilities in our, in our rural areas. Uh, I think they're in danger. We've lost too much population, so there's been a loss of uh, funding and revenue streams to those. We have to make sure that they stay uh, tacked stay solid and their solvent so that we can have um, access to health care for so many. You know, that includes, uh, you know, bringing telehealth and making that something that is a permanent fixture, uh, not just something that happened during COVID, but something that you know, our people in our rural territories have access to telehealth and telemedicine, um, but we also have to expand rural broadband to make sure that that's as effective as possible so that you know, people in, in places that are a great distance from their healthcare provider can reach effectively a doctor or a medical professional. Uh, and I think that is something that we will absolutely make a priority in this congressional district. And I look forward to working with our local partners uh, at the state level, as well as the local, county, and, and, and community level, to get a lot of these projects done. Um, but uh, I'd be happy to, you know, take any questions anyone has for me.
18: Any questions
0: in the room? I'll, I'll relay it. Any questions on the Zoom session? Renee, did you have a question? Oh, go ahead.
18: Okay, a a, a question in the room. Where do you stand on the home health care crisis and the PSP issues uh, with funding for people who need personal care aids?
17: Well, I I think that uh, our personal home care aids are are grossly underpaid. Um, You know, there's been a lot of fight to increase wages for different sectors uh, of the economy. Uh, And I think for some reason, the people that work so hard to help, you know, people in, in home health situations or within our medical facilities, uh, they've gotten shortchanged. I mean, a lot of this uh, lies uh, in Albany. Uh, but I, I do think that we need uh, to be better advocates uh, and provide more funding for home health care aids and, and to get wages uh, increased. I mean, as you see, I can't imagine what, how hard it is to staff facilities right now with the labor crunch that's taking place everywhere. I mean. You know, but when a fast food worker makes the same amount as someone that's caring for you know, people uh, in, in a very difficult way every day, all day, um, I, it just doesn't seem logical to me. And we should be you know, incentivizing people that do this very important work, uh, taking care of those that desperately need the assistance. Uh, and, and I do think that this is an area where our state government has failed uh, miserably, um, in in providing the appropriate wage structure uh, for our home health care aides.
5: I have a question for you. Yes. My son is permanently disabled, and he recently got removed from his apartment uh, because the landlady wanted to move back into it. So we were looking for a, a, an affordable apartment that would be good for him that was accessible in the whole nine yards. And the rents for apartments are well over $1,000 a month. And my son gets $1,300 from disability insurance a month. Now, we looked high and low, and even the affordable um, handicap places are waitlisting three years, four years, two years, whatever but they're wait listing and he's on a wait list right now for an apartment in a, in a residential community for handicapped people. And he's now living with me um, because we didn't have much of a choice. Is there anything that you can do or push or help with getting some of the landlords to fall into line to make these more affordable for these poor folks that just don't have the income? I I would pay for an apartment for him, but I don't even have that kind of money. It's It's very shameful to me.
17: Extraordinarily expensive. And that's why we've got to get this inflation under control. I mean, I'm running for Congress as a federal office. I don't think there's any sort of solution that I can bring from Washington to make the local landlords You know, comply. You know, this would this would far fall uh, far closer to uh, the purview of the state government by incentivizing and putting within the budgets funding sources to create more affordable uh, living situations. But you know, when you're looking at all facets of life right now, you know, these affordable units for the disabled uh, are, are are one element, but rents across the board are skyrocketing. Um, and, and as interest rates continue to go up, and the cost of living, and in food, and in transportation, you know, all continues to go up and up and up. While wages don't keep up with that, you're going to have more and more situations like you're you're facing here, Gretchen. I'm very sorry for the situation that you're dealing with. Uh, but we have to have a a um, a compassionate view here, and we have to address these things. I and mean, hopefully, our state government will will come to the table and and be, you know. There's a lot of giveaways right now uh, within our our state government and different pots of money that are flying around because the federal government has handed giant checks uh, to states in terms of COVID relief. This seems like an area uh, that some of that money would be put to very good
5: use. Yeah, probably would. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know who's in charge of the Social Security benefits. I think that's the federal government
17: there. And there is a COLA going in on Social Security. I, I saw that. Largest, yes. The largest one that's happened in uh, and it's kind of a formula. It's not an act of Congress necessarily. It just kind of happens by the Social Security Administration. But right. Uh, at least they are not being tone deaf. They are addressing the needs. Right. And, and we,
5: we appreciate it.
17: We appreciate
5: any little bit that we can get extra for him. But it's still not enough. It just is like a drop in the bucket, and I'm sorry to even bother you with that. No, no,
17: no, it's. I mean, it's a state
5: thing, but you know, I mean, I think federal government can do something.
17: Well, in in the cola is important. Uh, We the purchasing power of, uh, of of a dollar isn't what it was last year or the year before. So I was glad to see that the cola went up and addressed that, and it wasn't just a traditional 2% COLA, it was a much hardier uh, increase this year. Yes, it was. Our seniors and, and and our people that are dependent on social security, I mean, they desperately need uh, the ability to survive. And, and, yes. and everything costs more. Yes,
5: that's well, thank you so for your time. That's all the time, so that, that's
18: all time we have. Thank you very much, Mr. Langworthy.
17: Thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it. And hopefully we can earn your vote on November 8th.
14: Hello.
18: Hello. Uh, hey, introduce how are you? Yourself and and uh, then we'll ask you some questions.
14: Sure. Uh, I'm a nice to see everybody. I hope uh today's not going too long for you. Uh, I'm Assemblyman Patrick Burke. Uh, I'm running for re-election. I represent the New York State, uh, the 142nd district in the New York State Assembly, which is South Buffalo, Lackawanna, Orchard Park, and West Seneca. Uh, I've been elected for uh, this. I'll be going into my third term. Uh, before that, I was a county legislator for five years. Um, throughout that time period, I've certainly prioritized uh, protecting the environment, uh, advocating for my constituents. Uh, as far as uh, my work, where I think it's it's most helpful uh, to, to this community is certainly in public transportation and understanding the sort of dysfunction of Buffalo and western New York's public transportation system and how it really wasn't well thought out or was only thought uh, it was only thought out for, uh, for just a singular uh, group of people and uh, so I've certainly fought for access. I'm currently advocating for an electric streetcar line which I think would make things a lot more simple and create uh, a lot more access for people to get around not just the city proper but throughout the suburbs and I've been working really hard on that trying to make it part of the uh, Buffalo Bills Community Benefits Agreement. And yeah, so that's uh, that's where we're at. Um, happy to take any questions you might have and uh, look looking forward to the dialogue.
18: <laughs> we'll start out with, are there any questions in the Zoom room um, for the assembly member? questions. I'll relay the question if you can't hear it. Uh, The question is, how do you plan on addressing the redlining in the counties and the areas you represent?
14: Redlining, racial redlining? Yes. So I think I've continued to do that one just by using my voice and identifying uh redlining tactics and uh you know sort of structural racism so if you look at streets like oak street uh downtown that was built as a, a flat surface highway quite specifically to exclude uh black people from going to uh white neighborhoods uh it's no it's no secret it's well documented and i've talked about that publicly uh I was pretty forceful in the work on the 33 and trying to reconnect those communities. But again, uh, Buffalo used to have a robust electric streetcar grid and system that connected communities. And we ripped it all out or we paved over those, uh, those rail car lines. And we built a highway system that broke communities apart. And this this was also considering that you know this was the city of light. This was the place that had you know, ample electricity from our, uh, from our hydropower stations from Niagara Falls, and we destroyed it. So now we're sort of retroactively trying to fix some of the, some of that stuff, or we're not doing it in the best way. We're not doing it in the most people conscious way. We're doing it in a way that really it's a, you know, you have to buy an electric car, which is, which is extraordinarily expensive. It's not good for the environment still, because some of the things you have to mine and create for it. So, uh, reconnecting communities, one, just being aware of the problem, uh, being aware of the, the history of it. And even if you go back to the GI Bill where uh, white GIs were, were able to get, uh, GI, you know, uh, GI home mortgage loans and black GIs weren't, uh, there's a long and painful history of it. And knowing about it, addressing it, speaking about it, and trying to set policy to, to correct it is, is what I've done.
18: A uh, question we have here, what are your funding priorities for the New York State budget this coming year?
14: uh it's a it's a uh i think one ensuring that so my experience in the legislature it's it's like a it's it's a difficult and and painful budget exercise every year only because you have so much extraordinary need and you know you never have the capacity to fill it all so uh, certainly when it comes to uh you know advocating for home health care workers have done that we didn't get nearly what we wanted last year but it was a it was a significant it, you know I think we wanted 11 percent uh, i think we got five um, not nearly enough uh, but we're in the fight and so uh, I'm, I'm in my second term now going into my uh, third term uh, there's there's five leadership positions in the assembly majority conference uh, and i hold one of them so being just in my second term and in, in, in gaining seniority like that, I think uh, is really helpful for me to be in the room uh, and have a seat at the table and, and advocate um, for many different organizations, but certainly prioritizing uh, your needs as well. We Not just me, but the West New York uh, majority delegation, the Democratic delegation was was really forceful in, in, in within conference. And so uh, I, I think simply working to, to continue to foster our relationship then also having the ability to advocate uh, for those things within the assembly and making sure there are priorities is certainly something that I'll continue to do.
18: Excellent. Uh, A question that's been asked of of, uh, other candidates for other districts and and yours, Um, you're familiar with the $750,000 that was allocated to the NFTA to study the expansion of paratransit uh, from going just three quarters of a mile to three miles it uh, appears that the plans for that study would take up to 18 to 24 months to complete before that, that uh, solution could be put into place. Do you have any ideas on if the, that could be expedited or how that could be made to take, fast, take place faster?
14: I mean, I think certainly putting uh, pressure on them. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a planner by, by trade, uh, so I don't know what their process is, but certainly I understand the urgency uh, and, and right, like, I, I understand a lot of you, a lot of people on the zoom, you know, you, you're dealing with a lot. And so hearing about another study and another, this and another, that it certainly feels like kicking the can down the road. And I said, I hope it's not um, there. There's a process to these things. If it's, if it's deliberately dragged out, I will certainly, I would have no problem uh, uh, having both public and private conversations about that, and using the power of my office to uh, expedite uh, and, and, and advance more urgency onto that study. Um, but whatever we do, um, it's too late. Like it should have already been done. Um, and it's it's a little strange because government. Uh, I believe. I believe. I do believe in the power of government. I do believe the power of collective people. Uh, using the resources in a way that that benefits the whole. Um, but sometimes it's it's slow and it, I think it's frustratingly and maddeningly slow. Uh, I think some of that time some of that is is by design uh, because if government shifts too rapidly all the time, it creates a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty. But we also have to get with the times and it means we have to uh, find innovative solutions to problems. And if we've been doing something one way for a very long time, uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of, uh, uh, I would say, maybe even courage, maybe it's political courage to take a risk and do it another way that, that uh, might be innovative, might not even work sometimes, but I think is at least reassuring that we're, we're taking the proper chances uh, to, to move a, a people's agenda along uh, further in a more expedited way.
18: Thank you. We've got a question here in the room. would you be able to help implement a pilot program for that particular thing to get wheels on the ground and get a solution started?
14: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that, that takes work, but, uh, you know, aside from being the secretary of the majority conference, I'm the chair of the great lakes task force. I also serve on the, uh, science, uh, and technology committee. And, uh, I was explaining to a group earlier today, what that means. It's not just, it's not just looking for the next big thing for New York to invest in, or you know, it's it's not that. It's also addressing how New York can look within and see how we're we're falling behind and how we can become more innovative with government solutions to, you know, overcome bureaucracy. Cause a lot of the stuff is, you know, it's just some person sitting at a desk somewhere with a stack of work. Who hasn't gotten to the thing yet and and it means there's not enough people but it also you know there's never enough resources there's never enough there's never enough anything to help everybody and it sucks like really it, it's a it, it always feels like an empty you know you know you're gonna let someone down because you know you can't truly help everyone because there's so much need but you fight the fight because there's a whole other side of people who want to you know be reductive who want to Reduce the amount of resources. Who want to foster resentment between different groups who are all needing and suffering and hurting. And so, uh, that's also the fight I'm in. Is just trying to trying to use my power and the position I'm in, the power of the position I'm in, rather, uh, to protect as many people as I can while I'm while I'm in that position. So, uh, so absolutely, it's just a, it's just a matter of capacity, getting the right people at the table, finding the solutions. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm down for the fight.
18: Thank you. Any other questions either out in the yeah. Zoom room? Oh, oh, we got another question here. Go ahead, Ernie. Yeah.
4: Earlier today, we heard from your opponent, Sandy Mangano.
17: How do you contrast your positions with her? Did you hear that?
14: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know what she said. Uh, and, I, and I haven't heard many of her uh public positions, uh, uh, you know, frankly, just beginning to maybe learn a little bit uh, about about her politics. Uh, So I I would say I generally don't talk about my opponents because I think I have to talk about, you know, what I want to do. But in this case, I would say, um, you know, there's enough about I have enough concerns about my opponent that I think people should know the level of uh, of extremism um, and sort of uh, you know, it's a level of politics that I I honestly would say that I believe she's unfit for public office, uh, seeing some of the things she's posting uh, on social media, like deep homophobia and racism and misogyny and uh, just a, a lot of a lot of really hateful things. So if I'm separating my opponent and me in any ways, I don't I don't do those things. I'm not associated with, you know, armed militias and paramilitary groups. So by, by sheer uh, I'd say experience and putting a sincere effort into just making, you know, like trying to help people uh, and and not having those beliefs, I would say those are the biggest differences between her and I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. And I haven't seen any actual policy positions from her to, to, to have a policy discussion, but I, I think I think at this point see I've seen enough to to have a, a values and character discussion as a as a comparison.
18: Okay. Thank you. That was the last question.
19: Uh, hi. Uh, my name is Todd Bark. I'm the chief policy officer. I want to thank everybody for being here today from our candidates. Thank you, Assemblymember Burke, for for uh, cleaning for cleaning up for us. right? Okay. Uh, everybody here in the room, and everybody on Zoom who took their afternoon to listen to the candidates. I really appreciate your uh, commitment to being a member of the informed electorate. Now all I gotta do is convince folks to go out and cast their ballot because knowledge means nothing if you don't cast your ballot. So not only do I want you to do it, but I want you to tell a friend to do it. If you know anybody who's having a problem being able to get to the polling place, we wanna know about that, right? So have them call me or have them call Independence Express. We will help get them to the polls to cast their ballot. Again, I want to thank you so much, guys, for coming, and that's going to close our event for today.
0: Thank you, everybody.